everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Uh, before we jump in, uh, just a small amount of housekeeping. It's pretty exciting. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our pastor, Zach, uh, came with a request, a need. Uh, he had heard about a need for materials and items for refugee families down in Denver. Uh, and many of you came alongside and donated items. Uh, we got 10 pairs of gloves, 14 backpacks, 24 duffel bags, 37 jackets, over 300 pairs of socks. He said they stopped counting after 300 because there were so many. And they were able to take these all down to Denver. And although it's just a really small drop in the bucket for a huge need, uh, I love that our church comes together and helps those in need. Uh, so can you just take a second and give yourselves a hand? I'm just so excited about that. So thank you. And as we continue to see needs like this, we'll just continue to keep you apprised of it. It's just such a great thing. All right, well, welcome to another cold day here in Broomfield, Colorado. Uh, over the last few months, my children have been coming home and talking about the different ways to get a snow day. And funny enough, I've seen some of you post about these same exact things on social media, which begs the question of how our kids are talking to each other, because my kids don't have a cell phone, and your kids are saying very similar things, despite the fact that they're at different schools. Things like, we can flush an ice cube down the toilet, spin around three times before bed, watch the entire movie Frozen, and I'm sure any number of other ways to get a snow day. What I'm beginning to worry about is it may have worked because it's been freezing for a long time now, and we need to get to the bottom of this. All of that is really just my way of thanking you for being here, especially those of you who had to make the long trudge through the dirt parking lot and the snow. If you need someone to blame, I believe it's these students who keep fervently praying for snow days, and it seems like God may be overreacting a little. So there's your place of blame. My name is Jacob, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited for you to join us on week four of our series, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. In this series, we've been reading through a book by John Mark Comer, in which he takes spiritual practices and ideas and lines them up against the abject hurry that's in all of our lives. Uh, if you're like me, this series is both refreshing and gut-wrenching, as the author continues to point towards God desires for us which stands in opposition to many ways that we pursue sex, or success, relationships. Just strike that from the, the podcast. <laughs> Although maybe that too. Success, relationship, and what it means to win. Uh, as my wife and I have been reading this book, uh, we are just constantly reminded of how much of a hurry we are constantly in versus what God wants for us. Uh, and if you're just joining us for the first week and you haven't done this with us yet, uh, there are a few different ways that you can plug in with this content. The first uh, is just show up on a Sunday morning uh, and be present. Uh, we recognize as a staff that for some of us, by the time you get here by 9 a.m., uh, it's already been a really busy day. Uh, for some of us, it hasn't been. It, it was easy to get up this morning and get in here, but some of us had to get kids moving, get spouses moving, brush off our car, trudge through the dirt parking lot. Uh, it can be a heck of a day for some of us by the time we get here. So what we are encouraging you to do, if that's you, 
is to take Sunday morning as an opportunity to come, listen, rest, and reflect on how God created us. And here's what I can promise you. Um, When you leave here, things will still be just as hurried. Uh, They will still be just as crazy. None of that stops. But for a moment here, uh, you are surrounded by people who are trying this together. That's the joy of community. If you want to take this whole series, this whole concept a little bit further, you're also able to grab the book. Uh, This book we're in by John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You can pick it up on Amazon. It's about $20. And because Amazon has by this point pretty much taken over the world, if you order it right now, it may be on your doorstep by the time you get home. Um, It's important to say we don't get any sort of kickback for asking you to buy this book. This is just something we're doing together. And finally, if this is something that is really hitting you hard and you want to know how to go deeper with it, uh, John Mark Comer on his website has a workbook that's free that you can go through with friends, family, or strangers at Starbucks. You can grab it on his website and start to put into practices some of the things that we're talking about here. All right. All that being said, let's jump into the topic at hand, which is, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to internalize if you're a Christian. It's not about how you manage your money. It's not about forgiveness, although those are probably two of the top five hardest things to talk about. Uh, No, today we're talking about Sabbath, a 24-hour period where you stop, you rest, and you worship, regardless of what's going on around you. For many of us steeped in American culture, this is one of the hardest things to actually pull off. And if you're like me, you're often left feeling guilty at how hard it is to actually rest in the presence of God with everything you have going on around you. This topic is both energizing and nerve-wracking for me because Sabbath can feel so elusive, but if we start to get it, we find this free gift that God set aside for us. But in my experience, as a pastor and as a friend, uh, many of us have no idea how to go about this. For those of us who have been with us for a while, if it feels like we've spoken on Sabbath a lot in the last year, it's because we have. It's come up a few times because it's so important and also because many of us struggle to know how to do it consistently and do it well. So let's start with a refresher for those of us who need it and an introduction for those of us who have no idea what Sabbath is and have been hoping from context to figure out exactly what the preacher is talking about. In his book, John Mark Comer references a quote by A.J. Swoboda, who's a professor of Bible theology and world Christianity at Bushnell University. And I thought this was beautifully said. The Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result? Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It's not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. We've become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Yeah, that's where we're going today. And to be clear, just like Swoboda says, this has nothing to do with whether or not you love God or are chasing God or being discipled in your relationship with God. It has nothing to do with whether or not you have a passion for God or have professed faith in Jesus No, it's about whether or not you were able to pause and rest in the presence of God uh, and acknowledge when your fuel tank is empty and just breathe. 
And, and it's not about just taking a day off. It's not about doing things around the house or running errands. It's about being able to rest in the presence of God, which is completely different. And before we go further, I want to pause and address the tension that at least I feel, and I wonder if others do as well. It's the tension of busyness and of hurry and of unfinished tasks and of kids' activities and bills to pay and relationships to chase. It's the tension of guilt, and honestly, it's the tension of just one more thing. When we talk about Sabbath and the idea of devoting a day of your week to God, if you feel any of that tension, if you feel any of that churning in your gut, if you wince a little bit because it's just another thing you know you should do, you're probably not alone in this room. So stick with me because I have some exciting news that we're going to talk about today. Now, to make sure we're on the same page, there are two sections of Scripture that give us a baseline of what Sabbath is. We can find these in Genesis 1 and 2 and in Exodus 20, where we'll be for the next few minutes. I'm mostly going to be paraphrasing Genesis 1, although we'll stop a few times on specific verses. Genesis 1 is the six days of creation where God creates the earth. And the story goes like this. Day one, God creates the heavens and the earth he creates light and darkness. Day two, he creates the water and the sky and separates them. Day three, he creates the land and the seas and the vegetation. Day four, he creates the stars and points out the sun and the moon. And, and then we get to day five. And day five is the first place we're going to jump into scripture and look. It's in Genesis 1, 20 through 22. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing with which water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and wait for it. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And God blessed them. Day six, God creates the creatures of the land, and then he creates humans. And we'll jump back in at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. For six days, God worked and then he rested. And we see that rest in Genesis 2 one through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. There were three different times in creation that God blessed something he created. 
When he created animals and told them to go and fill the earth, he blessed them. When he created humans and told them to go and fill the earth, he blessed them. And when he took a day of rest, he blessed it. What's the connection? John Mark Comer in his book makes the claim that God blessed the first two things because it was their job to, to procreate and to multiply. And he claims that they, God blessed the third thing, the Sabbath, because similar to that multiplication, Sabbath has the ability to multiply in our lives the same way. Um, because somehow taking that time of rest, that 15% of the week, that significant chunk of the year, has the ability to do more for us than just working harder that day. Let's hold on to that connection and see what we think about it. A blessed day of rest. Hmm. I wonder if there's something about being able to get through a day off and go back to life the next day with my tank actually being full uh, instead of just stuck at the halfway mark. I wonder if there's something about meeting with God and being in the presence of God that means I get to experience the fullness of life as opposed to the constant grind. Because as the author writes, it doesn't matter whether you love your job or hate it. It doesn't matter if you love what's going on in your life or with your family. There are some days, sometimes, that just feel like a grind. So what does the idea of a blessed and multiplying Sabbath look like in light of that? Ellis Schaefer has a story he tells that I loved. One man challenged another to an all-day wood chopping contest. The challenger worked very hard, stopping only for a brief lunch break. The other man had a leisurely lunch and took several breaks during the day. At the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and annoyed to find that the other fellow had chopped substantially more wood than he had. I don't get it, he said. Every time I checked, you were taking a rest, yet you chopped more wood than I did. But you didn't notice, the winning woodsman said, that I was sharpening my axe every time I sat down to rest. How many of us are going through life with a dull axe? And we're chopping as fast and as hard as we can. We're pushing as hard as we can, but it, it just doesn't chop the way it used to. And, uh, and there are times that it's just not working the way it does. And, and our axe could really use some sharpening. At, at least me, and I'm sure some of you. Okay, moving from Genesis up to Exodus, uh, we're going to jump forward about two, a few thousand years in Scripture. Uh, we're going to move from Genesis 1 all the way to Exodus 20. And by this point, God's people have been through a lot. Uh, there have been floods, fire falling from the sky, famines, slavery, and even more to be found in the intervening history. Now the people of God have left the land that they knew, Egypt, and are now wandering in the desert led by a man named Moses. One day Moses goes up on a mountain to meet with God. And when he comes down, he brings with him 10 commandments. And these commandments from God are ways to live and expectations from God. Uh, now, when I read these, I find them so fascinating. And there's patterns in the Ten Commandments I'd never seen before. Uh, if you look at Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments start in Exodus 20, verse 3, and go to 20, verse 17. Fifteen verses in which God gives us a total of ten rules for his people. What's interesting is that of those Ten Commandments, eight of them only take up one verse each. And they're pretty self-explanatory. God doesn't find the need to expand upon his statements. There are things like, you shall not commit murder. Hard stop. Murder's bad. Don't do it. I don't need to explain why. You should already know better. You shall not steal. 
Hard stop. Stealing is bad. Don't do it. I don't need to explain why. You should already know. The second commandment is a little bit longer. It's about not worshiping other gods. And Moses goes into a little more depth. It takes up a total of three verses as God explains what he means and what the punishments are. But the commandment that takes the cake for length is the fourth commandment about Sabbath. In fact, it was so important that of these 15 verses and approximately 300 words that make up the Ten Commandments, 30% of the text is devoted just to the Sabbath. If you have a Bible, it's going to be in Exodus 20, verse 8, or it'll be up on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male nor female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In only three of the Ten Commandments does God stop to explain the reason behind his commandment. And Sabbath is the only spiritual practice that makes it into the Ten Commandments. There's nothing in the Ten Commandments about tithing, making sure you sing during worship, despite the fact that the person next to you sounds so much better. There's nothing about serving or sacrificing for others or about solitude or silence. There's nothing about the recording or reading of Scripture, although by this point it's mostly just patriarchal tales being passed down. No, it was nine rules for following God and one rule about a spiritual practice of rest because God took 15% of the week and set it aside. He sanctified it. He set it apart. He made it holy and different, and he created it as a place for us to meet with him. And this, John Mark Comer says, is, is almost offensive when you think about it in light of world religions. Uh, imagine the pursuit of God in the ancient world, or, or heck, even today. If someone were to ask you, what is a place of holiness where I might meet God? Uh, I want to see God. I want to experience God. Where can I meet with God? There are plenty of things that come to mind. Uh, you might have said, uh, you can find God in nature or on the mountaintop. Uh, you might find God in a church or in a temple. You might be able to find God in areas of deep religious significance, but then the God of the Bible comes along and says, sure, we can talk on mountains or in nature, and we can talk on temples or in churches, and we can talk in religious places. Uh, there are places you can find me all over, but I want you to know that I've actually set aside an entire day of the week, no matter where you are, as a place of holiness a time set apart just for you and me because God created Sabbath for us. Okay, that is a crash course on the origin and significance of Sabbath, but it's not the whole story. If we end our service right here, I believe most of us could understand that God rested on the seventh day of creation. That's easy. I believe we could resonate with the idea that God set aside it for us to rest. That's easy. The problem is that those in the room who are great at taking time of Sabbath can already keep doing that. And those of us who are terrible at it, we still don't know what to do. Sure, God created something for us. But if we leave here, we run into the problem with Sabbath that I've had for my entire Christian life. Um, it's just the problem of one more thing I should do. Um, 
and I don't always do it. I had a hilarious experience as I was prepping the sermon. Uh, I met with a friend, and they asked what I was doing this weekend. I told them I was preaching, and they asked what I was preaching on, and I said, oh, I'm preaching on Sabbath. And they go, and I go, hey, pause. Let me guess. Like, okay. I go, you know that you should take a Sabbath, and you have time to do it, and you know it would be good for you, and you're going to skip church on Sunday because you're afraid I'm going to shame you. And she goes, that was pretty much completely right. <laughs> she goes, she goes, every time someone talks about Sabbath, I think I want that so bad. And I also want to read my Bible, and I don't do that either. And they, they, she talked about the problem of the shoulds. Um, you know, like, you should read your Bible. And you should go to church. And you should grab coffee with a person you haven't seen in a while. And you should probably not use foul language. And you should jump in and serve. And you should give. And you should help fill a need. And you should, should, should. And to be clear, none of those things are bad. They're all amazing. And you probably should do at least some of them, right? The problem is we can should ourselves to death. Because uh, no matter how much I try each and every week, I fall short. I miss the mark. I don't get what I should every single week. And I end up comparing what I should do to what I see others do, and I can feel pretty far behind at times. So what do we do about the Sabbath being just another should? And that's where we get Jesus. Uh, I love the person of Jesus in Scripture uh, because he's so subversive. And I don't believe it's just so he can prove others wrong or be holier than thou or elitist. I think Jesus, one of his primary goals— was to say, hey, here's what God said, and here's what he meant, and here's what you think he meant, and they are not the same. And so you see Jesus uh, come alongside people and say, this is what my father meant, and he can give these little one-liners that if we're reading through scripture quickly, we can completely miss the incredible significance of. Uh, and today, I'm going to give you one of his one-liners we find in the book of Mark. If you have a Bible, it's Mark 2, 23 through 27. If not, it'll be up on the screen. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In, in other words... God created the Sabbath, not as another should, not as something to add to your list, but it probably won't make it, so you can just repent of that too. No, God created the Sabbath as a gift, as a moment of rest. In fact, Sabbath is mentioned almost 50 times in the Gospels, and the disciples continued practicing it through the book of Acts and beyond. So if we can agree that Sabbath is a gift— and if we can agree that this idea of rest is great, but we can also agree that we are very busy, how do you move towards Sabbath? And really, what is it? 
Sabbath, or a day of rest, a day of worship, despite what you may believe, does not have to be a monastic expression of faith, where we sit in a room by ourselves and we read our Bible and we pray and we occasionally listen to worship music that was personally curated by Discovery's worship team who are assumedly taking their cue from some higher up worship authority. Um, it, It probably can be that. It doesn't have to. Sabbath is not just solitude and worship music, although it can be. Sabbath at its core asks us for three things. To stop, to rest, and to worship. And if what you're doing fills those three criteria, then I contend whatever it is makes the cut. Look at Jesus and his disciples picking grain. There is a a piece of the Sabbath that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Um, But they weren't working. They weren't harvesting. They were walking and they were hungry and they were enjoying time together. I picture them laughing and telling stories and, and taking Sabbath together because that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath can be done in community and with food and with laughter and with joy. I, I think of my wife and I and our life-giving list and our way that we pursue things like this, and they are polar opposites. Uh, so me, I am socially extroverted, On a Sunday morning, I have met most of you. I talk to people. I laugh. I am happy. It is not a front. That is absolutely how I feel. And then I go home after church and I curl up into a ball and I put a blanket over myself and I pray nobody talks to me for at least an hour because I'm wiped, because I replenish on my own. I love being around people, but I replenish on my own. So my idea of rest and worship and stopping is to get under a blanket in front of our fireplace and and play with my kids and build Legos and nap and rest and write and read the the things you would absolutely expect from the story I just told. Um, And then I married my wife, Robin, who is so, so different because her rest and her worship and her stopping is to find life-giving relationships and be with people. Uh, whether it's a coffee or a glass of wine with a good friend or her mom or time sitting and chatting with me while I'm reading a book and she has not quite taken the hint, that is her life-giving peace. We joke that if our family ever hits like severe crisis, we're going to have to figure out how I can be in a room by myself and she can be in a room with like 60 people because that's how she feels uplifted. And as I share that... uh, it sounds like my wife and I don't have that many similarities when it comes to recharge. But I don't need to worry about that today until Zach does a marriage series. So for right now, I'm good. I actually say that because I think that that's quite a few couples and quite a few people that you and the person that you're with, they, you recharge differently. And that's good. And that's okay. Sabbath is what you were made for. It's the fullness of life. And as long as it fits the categories of stop, rest, and worship, I contend that most things can fit within the concept of Sabbath. The author of Ruthless Elimination says that Sabbath should be the day that you look forward to every week. It's the day that gets you through Wednesday, and it's the day that you look back on fondly on Monday. It's a time of great community and expression and love and fun and rest and worship. And it's what keeps us going. So if I've sold at least a few of you on this idea, uh, I have some ways that we can try to make it work if you've never done it before. Uh, Here's a few things. First, 
this week, I want to challenge everyone in this room and anyone joining us online, anyone who's watching this message a month from now, to commit to a Sabbath activity in the next week. Something that causes you to stop, to rest, and to worship. And to talk about Steve from a couple weeks ago, um, most of us can't just turn it off right away. It takes quite a while for our brains to reset, the racing to go, to to not think about the bills and everything going on, um, because that's real. But what does it look like to commit to a Sabbath activity? And I recognize that there are people in this room who wish they had time to do that. There are some who are busy with good things, and there are some uh, that this just sounds like one more thing to do, or there are some that this book is hitting pretty hard, and you're already trying to make like 14 changes in your life, so one more will probably kill you. Um, Like Steve said again a couple weeks ago, if you are looking for change in your life and your goal is immediate change today, hard stop, that's going to be really hard. So I had this idea of something gradual. And to be clear for anyone who might email me, what I'm about to say is not biblical at all. This next segment is not biblical at all. But if you want to try out Sabbath, but a full day just sounds crazy and you know you can't do that, what if you start small? What if in this next week, in this next 168 hours, you were to take time for a one-hour Sabbath? or a four-hour Sabbath, or an eight-hour Sabbath, or a full-day Sabbath, with the goal being eventually to move to a full-day Sabbath. The goal here is not to make Sabbath what I want it to be. The goal is not to morph it into what works in American capitalistic culture. That's not the goal. But for those of us in this room who have trouble taking it at all, taking one hour in the next week is infinitely better than taking zero hours and feeling guilty about it for the rest of your life. If Sabbath is new for you, let's set up some wins early on. Um, And to start all of this, all you have to do is ask yourself, what causes me to stop, rest, and worship God? And if something fits those criteria, I contend that it fits in the concept of Sabbath. All right, two next steps. This next one is for someone in this room who is either a pro at Sabbath, I know there's at least a few of you, or if not a pro, You're like at least two weeks ahead of what I just talked about in the sermon. That makes you a pro in my eyes. Here's what I'd like to ask. Uh, This morning at 9.30, I scheduled a post to go out on our Facebook and on our Instagram. And it asks this question. What are some one-hour, four-hour, eight-hour, or full-day Sabbath practices that you have that help to stop, rest, and worship? If you are a person in this room or joining us online who have practices, can I ask for you to put an answer on there? Uh, and it's not so that you can prove that you know what you're doing. It's not that you can prove that you're more spiritual. You're, you're welcome to do that if you'd like. Um, it's because those of us who are stuck, uh, we're not stuck because we're dumb. Uh, we're stuck because we don't know what's next. And something that's working for you could be really helpful for us. Now, some of you hate social media, and the fact that I would even mention social media on a Sunday morning is like heresy. If that's the case, you can email me, and I will throw it on social media, and I will reference you or not, whatever you'd like. 
um, people can use this tool. And also, if you don't comment, then Zach's going to see that nobody commented on my thing and think that this sermon was a failure, so you would also be helping me out. Just make that the plug. This becomes an opportunity for those of us in this room who want to try on a life-giving list from God, but don't know how. In this room, you can be someone who helps disciple others. Okay. The final thing, uh, and I really encourage anyone to read this book by John Mark Comer, and especially this chapter on Sabbath. He has an entire section of this chapter where he talks about Sabbath as defiance. Um, He talks about Sabbath as defiance to everything going on around us. Like the world says, go, 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 and rush, 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 and climb, climb, climb. What does it look like if Sabbath is just defiance to that because God asked us to pause? So today, I want to try our first Sabbath activity that I believe should be very uncomfortable to quite a few people. Uh, I want to invite the band back up, and here's what we're going to do. Our first Sabbath activity as a community um, is one of silence and solitude and quiet. We're going to end up dimming the lights, and I am going to ask us to take a minute to do your best not to play with your phone. And as a person with ADD, that would be about impossible. To do your best not to nudge the person next to you and to do the best not to look at the clock on the back wall. Um, But to ask yourself, God, what does Sabbath look like for me this week? Uh, And if you're the kind of person who can just reset and have a moment with God, that's great. And if you can't, I've got questions on the screen for you to think about. Let's take a few minutes. I'm not going to tell you how long. Uh, And when it's done, I'll end us in prayer. Let's take a minute in solitude, in community, and in defiance to talk to God.
had this moment um, as a youth pastor that was one of these small moments you latch on to. Now, we did an activity just like that with a group of high school students, um, students who are often on their phone and often laughing and joking and loud, and it was amazing. And we took a time of silence. And after it got done, I moved us to a small group. And I said, hey, let's, let's come together and just talk. Um, and I could not get them to speak. And it was the most awkward, like, 10 minutes as I'm trying to drag things out of them. And finally, I looked at one of the students I know well, and I said, hey, what's happening right now? And she said, Jake, this is weird, but I've never experienced that in my life, of just, like, silence, like, no cell phone and no people talking. Uh, she's 17 years old. She says, I have no idea what that's like, and I'm so uncomfortable right now. But I also just feel this moment. Uh, now, for many of us, three minutes, uh, which is how long that was. Some of you may have thought that was like an hour. Um, three minutes is not long enough for many of us to calm our minds. Uh, and for some of us, it's far too short. This week, what is a practice you can put into place to step into the life-giving gift that is Sabbath? Let me pray for us. Uh, hey, God, it's Jake. Uh, God, I feel, I feel challenged by this concept. Because uh, I think I'm good at unplugging. I think I'm good at stepping away, and I think I'm terrible at resting. And I think I'm terrible at resting and worshiping. Uh, and as a, a father, a husband, I, I've got to get some of that figured out. God, I just pray that this could be a week of Sabbath moments for people in this church who may have never experienced it before. Uh, and for those of us, those out in the group who are pros, that this could be a moment that we learn so much from them. God, I am so excited to see what you do this week. Thanks, Lord. Amen. Will you stand as we go into worship?